We serve the most awesome God, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to do this declaration together. I'm going to read pastor's text and we're going to get into the Word of God. Who's excited to get into the Word of God this morning? I know I am. If you all will put the declaration up, we're going to go ahead and do the declaration. If you'd say this with me as I say it, Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and receive the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Praise you, Jesus. If you'd remain standing for the reading of the word of the Lord this morning, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13, and this is what it says. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. Do thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when, when they were come that he looked on Eliab and, surely, and said, Surely the Lord anointed is before, anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not unto his countenance or his height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not a man as, not as man seeth. For the man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel and said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse said to Shema to pass by him, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. This And again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beauty of countenance, beautiful countenance, and goodly to look at. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took from the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Would you pray 
over the word with me this morning. Lord, you are amazing and you are powerful and you are wonderful and your word is amazing and it is perfect. And we pray you would speak to us from your word through our pastor this morning that you would anoint him to speak with the power, authority, and anointing and love. We just pray you would move and that you would do whatever you want and say whatever you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Before I get to preaching this morning, we want to apologize uh, if there's an echo in the building and the uh, sound man's going to do his best to try to work on it as I preach, uh, but we are in remodeling stage and we've took all of the soundboarding off of the walls and we will be having that problem for two or three weeks until we're able to get the paint up, get them back up and uh, it's going to take some time. When it's a building this big, you can't make things happen overnight like we w- would like to. So if you do hear a a echo or some bouncing going on with the sound. We do apologize. Just please bear with us. It's beyond our control, really, and I'll try to preach a little softer today. I said I'll try, uh, but we will try not to blow your eardrums out, and maybe Danny can keep working that thing. I hear an echo up here. How many hear the echo? Does anybody else hear that? So we're going to do our best. Do not allow this this uh, echo or whatever it is to hinder from you hearing the word of the Lord this morning. Don't allow the devil over a little issue of a problem that we're having because of remodeling rob us of what the Holy Spirit wants to say to the church. And before I get ready to preach, the Lord laid it upon my heart a while ago that there's somebody here that has a problem within their mouth. There's a sore, there's a, a gum that's given them some problems and you've been concerned about it. And the Lord just wanted me to let you know that if you'll just begin by faith to reach out right where you're at in your pew, that the Lord's going to heal you today. I don't know who you are. I was going to call you up here, and the Lord said, that's not necessary. I'll take care of it right where they're at. I just wanted to bring that to your attention. If you have that problem, then you're going to have to confess that to somebody before the service is over. Say, I was the person, and I want to give God the glory. God has healed me of whatever that sore is, whatever that problem is within your gum. How many believe that God can heal? Can you say amen? The Lord's a healer in the house. I want to get right into the word of the Lord this morning. As you all know, this story is the story of David being anointed as a king by the prophet Samuel. And when we think of David, we don't immediately think of limitation or struggle, do we? Because David was a man that achieved great success and he actually made it to the top. He was a great warrior. He was the greatest king of all times. As a matter of fact, the Bible literally tells us that he was the best king that the Israel and Judah ever had. As a matter of fact, did you not know that Jesus sits upon the throne of his father David? He was a champion of champions. He was used of God to expand Israel's territory. And the scripture tells us that David was even a man after God's own heart. He was a, he was a songwriter, a great musician, and a singer. He was even used to write many of the Psalms of the scripture. But even though he was a great warrior, a great champion, a great king, a great musician, yet there were many who never seen the potential in the beginning in David's life. As a young man, he did not look like a warrior. He did not look like a king. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in verse 12 that he was a Rudy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look upon. In our society today, we might have viewed him as a, a weakling or a mommy's boy or a ladies' man. Have you ever seen those kinds of guys? They're just a ladies' man. They have it all together. They walk around and they look good and they're pretty and they're well. Their countenance is is a, you know like a, a of a handsome type of a figure. 
different than me and Chuck, you know. Me and Chuck are not like that. But nevertheless, uh, David may have looked the role of as a pretty man, but he surely did not look like a warrior, a champion, a fighter, or a leader. He was what we call a pretty boy, amen? But the Bible also reveals to us that he was the youngest within his family. And we see by Scripture as a boy that he actually did not receive much affirmation from those around him in his family. David's greatest battle in his early years were not against the bear or against the lion in which he slew by protecting his father's sheep. You remember a bear came up against the sheep and David killed it with his own bare hands. A lion came and he also killed the lion. But the two things were not the greatest battle that David would ever fight. And matter of fact, you, some of you are sitting there saying, no, Goliath is the greatest battle that he would ever face. That's not true either. I want you to know his greatest battle was not even fighting against that great big Goliath called, that great big giant called Goliath. But rather his greatest obstacles were created by the people who tried to put limitations upon him. You will find in life that some of your greatest battles is not in the conflict with the world or the spirit, but it's in the making of your character. Your character is what will determine the success or the outcome of every battle that you were ever fight with the worldly influences around you. And can I tell you, if David would have remained the way that everyone else had tagged him, then he would have never become the champion or the warrior or the giant killer and the king that he actually was. Your greatest battle is how you view yourself and what you allow yourself to think about yourself because that will determine the success or the outcome of everything else that you do. For example, if you think that you're a failure, you're going to be a failure. If you think that you're going to be successful, then you will achieve success by giving yourself to the process that it takes to be successful. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, for whatsoever a man thinketh, that shall he also be. In other words, whatsoever a man thinketh in his heart, so is he is another translation. Can I tell you, whatever you think about yourself is going to determine a lot of times of what you're going to be and what you're going to overcome. People are where they are because of what they have come to believe about themselves, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Did you know that you will never try to achieve something you don't think you can? You will never put the energy into it. You'll never put the time into it. You'll not have the passion. You'll not have the confidence. You'll not have the faith. If you really believe that you can't do it, you'll never try to do that which you think you can't achieve. And there are a lot of things that we can achieve that we don't know that we can achieve. So therefore, we live in a limited life, not fulfilling everything that God wants us to fulfill, and we live a life below our potential. Every single one of us has potential. Look at somebody and say, you have potential. Look at somebody and say, you're greater than what you think. Look at somebody and say, hey, there's more for you to accomplish than what you're accomplishing. Every single one of us in this building, if we don't have potential, then it's time to die. Because if we have arrived and there's nothing else for us to do, then God is through with us. But I'm here to tell you, God's not through with us. God's not through with the palace of praise. And God's not through with his people. And there is so much potential lying in this building that we've not tapped into yet. And when we begin to believe who we are in Christ, there's no stopping the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. Give the Lord praise in this house. Oh, you can beat that. Give him praise. Amen. Well, glory. 
David's greatest battles were created by the people who tried to put limitations upon him. I want you to look how others saw and treated David. Matter of fact, when we see in Scripture that even Jesse, which is David's own father, David's own dad, did not even believe that David had king potential. David was a young man that knew what it was like to have his own dad really not have confidence in him or really have his own dad not to believe in him. David's father, Jesse, became very excited when he had learned that the prophet Samuel was coming to anoint one of his sons to become Israel's next king. Would not you? If you found out that a prophet was coming and he was going to anoint one of your sons to be king, wouldn't you be excited? And I'm sure that Jesse began to think about the qualities that each and every one of his sons had. I'm sure that Jesse wondered which son that God would choose for the important role to be the next king of Israel. And when Samuel arrived at Jesse's house to anoint one of his sons, Jesse lined the ones up that he thought had king potential. He probably lined them up in order. Well, I think it's this one, so he put him up first. I think if it's not him, it'll surely be this one. And he lined them up according to what he thought the the prophet would see. Jesse lined each one of his sons up one by one, except for David. Jesse did not even bother to call David in from the field and from watching his sheep. Jesse's view of David wasn't that he was too young or that he had no keen leadership potential, but rather David was not even thought of in the mind of of Jesse. Can you imagine? It never even entered into the mind of David's dad that David may have been picked by God. It never even entered into Jesse's mind. Oh, God's going to pick that little red-headed Rudy boy. God's going to pick the least of the least. God's going to pick the youngest son. He never thought that. David did not even enter into his mind. This is how much confidence and faith that Jesse had in David to be the leader of Israel or the the next king of Israel. At first, even the prophet had the same kind of view of that of Jesse. Even Samuel the prophet began to judge Jesse's sons based on what they looked like and whom seemed to fit the role. He lined them up and then all of a sudden, here come the prophet Samuel. He looked at their size. He looked at their age. He looked at their skills. He looked at their abilities. He looked at their experiences because some of them had been engaged in war. They were warriors. They knew how to fight with swords. They, they knew how to, to, uh, to uh, engage in battle. But the Bible reveals to us that God had someone else in mind than all of the other sons of Jesse. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6 and 7, that Samuel looked at Eliab, which was uh, the oldest son of Jesse. Uh, and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. He looked at him and said, that's the man, oh, the prophet did, because he said he's big of stature. He's got wide shoulders. He's got big hands. He's a man of war. He's a man of experience. He knows how to get the job done. But yet God has a different plan than what the prophet had. He had a different plan than what even Jesse thought. The Lord says, Samuel looked at looked up and said, the Lord's anointed before me, but the Lord said, do not look at his appearance or at his physical statue because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The scripture says that Jesse paraded all seven of his
his sons before the prophet that day, and yet God did not choose not one of them. And God begins to God began to reveal that there was a different one that he wanted to put his approval on, but he wasn't there. And Samuel asked David, or Jesse said, Jesse, do you not have another son? He says, I've got one, but I don't believe he's the one. He's out there tending sheep. He's the least of the least. He's the youngest. Surely it's not going to be him. And Samuel says, go and get him. And when he comes in, we see that it, that was the one that God wanted. God wanted David, the man with heart. You see, God seen something in David that no one else seen. The traits sometimes of a good and an anointed man are sometimes hidden from everyone else. But that does not change the God-given potential in their life. Just because people can't see it don't mean that it don't exist. Can I? Just because people don't recognize it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because people bypass it doesn't mean that it's void and it's an unimportant and it's un, and even though it's unnoticed does not mean that God ain't got a plan for that which no one else sees. Can you say amen? I'm ready to preach to you to hear today. God valued David for who he was and not for what he appeared to be. Aren't you glad of that? Amen. God put value on David when his family did not. What seemed to be on the surface isn't always what's on the inner being. And what seems to appear a lot of times is not the way it always is. Are you glad that man's impressions is not always God's impressions? And are you glad that man's view isn't always God's view when it comes to your life? Thank God that God seen me differently in a different light than the way the people that of Dudley, my hometown, seen me. I had a teacher one time look at me and said, you'll be good for nothing. You are a worthless young individual. And she put me under a desk and kicked me with her feet. And she'd always speak negative things over my life. I'd like to just say, hey, Miss Totten, I want you to know today the way you seen me is not the way that God seen me. Can you say amen? Aren't you glad? that God sees you differently. God knows who you are. And let me say, when people look at you and say you're nothing, they are literally slapping God in the face because they're saying that your creator, the one who formed you, the one who made you, the one who brought you forth, makes junk. But let me tell you, God don't make no junk. Every single one of you have value. You're the treasure of God. You're the apple of his eye. And you're worth something in the scope of God's lens. Can you say amen? Give the Lord praise for how he use you today. Oh God, I don't know if I'll finish this sermon or not, but the man that should have been the one to mold David, encourage David, exhort David, and cause David to believe in himself was the very one that did not, did not even believe himself, which was his father. David is a prime example that just because one did not have the encouragement and the affirmation of a parent, a mom or a dad, does not mean that you can't arrive and be what God has ordered for your life. I get so tired of hearing people make excuses for the way they are. Well, my dad or my mom, they always done this and they always done that and they said I was stupid and they said I was ignorant. Well, just because they said that don't mean you had to believe them. Quit being a victim to what people have said about you and start being responsive and responsible to what God has said about you. Can I have an amen? You're not a victim in this place. You're a victor in Jesus Christ. Amen, that's why we put that in our decree. Not only did we see Jesse, David's dad, not showing any kind of faith in David as a leader or king, but we also see that David's brothers did not think that he had warrior king potential either. 
This view of David was probably passed down and mentored from his father, the way that his father treated him, the way that his father, uh, you know, uh, would talk about David in front of the other children. David now begins not only to feel the rejection of his father, but he feels the rejection of his other brothers. Seven other brothers had no confidence in him. How do you think that makes you feel? How many's got older brothers or sisters? I got two older brothers. Well, I actually had three. One of them is deceased. But my oldest brother that I knew, he worked on the railroad for 45 years. He was my idol when I was a young boy, and we'd run around uh, together as he was a lot older than I was, and I idolized him. All the girls liked him, and he he drove sports cars, and he was good at sports. He's one of the greatest pitchers of all times, and he was a football player, and man, uh, he was just an awesome guy in my eyes. What, you know what would have happened if that boy, my brother, would have not believed in me? That, do you know how that would hurt you to have a brother that didn't have confidence in you, didn't believe in you, was always talking down to you, treating you differently than he treated everybody? David faced this with seven brothers. When Israel was at war with the Philistines, three of David's brothers became soldiers in Israel's army. And David was left at home to take care of his father's flock, his father's sheep. And then one day, Jesse calls David and set him down and said, I want to send you to the battlefield and I want you to take your brother's food. And David also was told by Jesse, I want you to bring news back and tell me how your brothers are. And when David arrived, the Bible reveals to us that David's brothers actually abused him, especially when David showed interest in doing battle with Goliath. What is so ironic is that no one else in that whole army had the courage to face Goliath. And before I go any further, let me say this. Lots of people put limitations on you due to the limitations they put upon themselves. Can I have an amen? You have to believe in yourself before you can actually believe in someone else. And the way that a person views himself most likely is the way he's going to view everybody else. The Bible tells us that all of Israel feared Goliath. Even King Saul. This tells us that even David's three brothers, who was known for their bravery and their battle experience as warriors, was afraid of Goliath as well. Limitations that people put up on other people, most of the time derive by their own lack of faith and confidence in themselves. But let me also say this. Sometimes the opposite is true. Sometimes people want to put limitations on you because they don't believe that they can do it. Therefore, they don't want you to do it because because if you do it, you'll outshine them and, you'll out look, and you will make them look like that they're failures. Some people don't want you to succeed because they feel like they can't. So they will hold you back. And one of the problems that you have is you better watch out what crowd you run with. Because if you run with a bunch of doubters, they're going to put limitations on you to keep you from going into your destiny and being successful. Because they themselves cannot be successful. So therefore, they're going to hold you back. Can I have an amen? Don't hang around a bunch of negative people. Those that always tearing someone down, finding fault, nitpicking, weak, and using the words can't. And, and, and don't say can't, just say you won't. Because the Bible says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Boy, this is going over like a lead balloon. I feel tightness in the house. Amen? I'm here to tell you a lot of times it's that we, it isn't that we can't, it's that we choose that we don't want to. We don't 
we don't believe that we can. So when we don't think that we can, that every time somebody has an idea to do something beyond the scope of your own belief, then you want to gripe about it and you want to put it down. Who would have ever believed that we could have went from Ninth and Cedar to here? And there were all kinds of naysayers. You got to quit listening to the naysayers and believe in the potential that God has placed within you. How many want to be more than an overcomer? A more than an overcomer is not somebody that's just barely existed. They're living life to its fullness. Can I have an amen? You and I have to determine in our minds that who, he who God calls, God equips. God empowers. But look at 1 Samuel 17, 28. This reveals David's brother's response of him wanting to fight Goliath. Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those I, boy, I would have punched my brother right in the mouth. He'd say this. Amen? Well, I would have smack dab busted his lip. Listen, whom have you left those few sheep with? In other words, your insignificant role, your insignificant job. I want to tell you, attending those sheep was not easy, and he did not have but just a few. That was, uh, that was a sarcastic remark by his brother. And if my brother Keith, even though I might have idolized him say something like that, I would have jumped as high as I could. So when I popped him, I was going to get him either in the chin, the mouth, or the nose. Amen? Because that was a sarcastic thing. Who have you left those few sheep with in the wilderness? Couldn't you hear that? Mocking him. He says, then they say, we know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David's brother viewed him and saw him as nothing more than an errand boy or a shepherd board, and they accused him of not even doing that job very well. They accused him of abandoning his father's sheep for selfish reasons. They accused him of wanting to come down and watch a battle. You just come down here to see a brawl. You come down here to see the UFC fight. You come down here at the exp- and to see a fight at the expense of your duty. Why are you down here? You should be back home tending sheep. That's all you're good for. That's what they were saying to him. They could not see that he was a boy on a mission. They could not see that he was a warrior ready for battle. They could not even believe that his father actually sent him to be a delivery boy on a battlefield. So how in the world could they actually believe that he would be the warrior, the champion of a battle that would fight a 10 and a half foot giant? We also see as David arrives on the scene of the battle that King Saul also did not think that David had champion material. When King Saul heard that there was someone in the camp who was willing to fight Goliath, he got all excited and he sent for him. And no doubt he was expecting to see a seasoned veteran warrior to present himself before Saul for the task of facing this 10 and a half foot giant by the name of Goliath. For several days they had set out there and, and, and Goliath was mocking the children of Israel, cursing their God and never even stirred anybody to battle. I want to tell you, when I'm watching television, there's certain things that don't bother me more, even though that they're bad. There's certain things I can look at that's bad. I turn my head. But when they start using my Lord's name in vain, I tell you, I get infuriated. Something happens when they start using the Lord God's name in vain. Can I have an amen? And I want to tell you, for days, old Goliath sat out there and cursed the God of Israel, mocked the God of Israel. And here was nobody in the camp willing to fight. David, a little red-headed, rudy boy, he comes carrying a slingshot and saying, hey, who does this guy think he is? I'll go fight him. 
And here's Saul hearing somebody's in the camp that'll fight. And finally Saul thinks, you know, somebody, one of the great warriors has finally got enough courage. They're going to come here and they're ready to go to battle. And it must have been a shock to Saul when this little red-headed Rudy Shepherd boy walked up with a slingshot and said, I'll take him. What do you think that king thought that day? Here's what David said to him. I'm ready. He said, let no man's heart fail because of him. Talking about Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, how would you have felt to be King Saul and a little red-headed Rudy boy with a slain cart comes in when you got these big, mighty warriors out there with swords and spears and shields and helmet and armor? And here he is in just shepherd boy clothing with a little bitty sling and saying, hey, don't fear that old boy, that old Goliath. Your servant to go out and fight him. And here's, look at Saul's response to David. 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight. Did you hear that? You can't. You're not able. You don't meet the qualifications. Who do you think you are? He says, for you're nothing but a youth. He's a man of war. He's skilled. He's trained. He's been a warrior ever since he was a little guy, and he's never been little. He was probably born 13 pounds and 8 ounces. Amen. He's a giant. You're nothing, David, in the sight of this point. Let me stop right here. I better not hear anybody in our church ever cut one of our young people down and say that they don't have potential because right there in that youth department lies more power than what you can ever even imagine. There's some mighty Davids in our youth department. Don't despise the day of one's youth. Amen? Don't despise small things because power comes in small packages. If you don't believe me, hang around my wife for a while. The most powerful force outside of God in my home is a little five-foot, almost one-inch young lady. And here I am, six-foot-three, 180 pounds. What's so funny about that? And there's more power in that little lady than there is in our own household put together. And so much of the times we judge things by their appearance and not the way they really are. And we look at things and we look at circumstances and we hear those voices clamoring at us, you can't, you're not able, you're not big enough, you're not good enough, you don't have the talent, you don't have the ability, you didn't come from the right side of the tracks, you didn't go to the right school, you didn't have the right parents, you don't have the money, you don't have, you don't have, you don't have, you can't, you can't, and on and on and on. They'll sit there and they'll clamor for your attention and they'll rob you of your potential and you'll not become what God has spoken over you. Can I have an amen? And here's Saul saying you can't. Saul did not view David as champion material. Saul did not think that David was up for the task. And it's one thing for your parent and your brothers not to believe in you, but now it's David even being rejected by leadership. I've prayed that I've not been that kind of a pastor where I've shot people down that I, when I didn't believe in them. Pray God forgive me for those people that I have hurt and wounded. I know that we can get overzealous and pastors have to deal with that. But I want to tell you, I would rather have a hundred overzealous people trying to do something for the Lord than have somebody that don't believe that they can do anything for the Lord. Amen? I'm ready for some overzealousness. Everybody in the old days used to always try to stomp out the wildfire. We've done it good till we've stomped out the fire altogether. Can I have an amen? Leadership has now voiced their view of David and placed limitations upon him. 
Not only did Saul think that David didn't have warrior potential, but we also see in Scripture that Goliath himself did not think that he had champion warrior potential as well. Goliath simply looked at David, said, you're not even a worthy opponent. Goliath didn't even look at him as an opponent at all. As a matter of fact, he said, who are you to send out a little old boy? He said, have you brought somebody here with sticks to play with me? He's mad. He didn't even look at David as a challenge, more or less a threat. Goliath mocked and laughed and counted him as if he was nothing. And he began to just look at David and laugh at him to scorn. And then he says something to David because David makes him mad. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The thing you brought out here, you go fight dogs with, buddy. Do you not understand who I am? That's what he's saying to David. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Oh, don't you know that just ticked David off? There was a little bit of probably the blood of Kent Miller running in him about this time. Big boy, I'm fixing to bust you in the nose. You're cursing my God by your gods. That ain't going to work. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. I'm going to cut your head off, David. I'm going to feed it to the fowls of the earth. Goliath despised David and believed that the boy wasn't even worthy for a proper barrier like a soldier would be. He had already predetermined his victory. He had already predetermined the outcome of the battle just simply by measuring himself up to a little bitty boy. Folks, the biggest battle that you will have is overcoming the images that people has placed upon you by their views. The biggest battle David faced was not the battle with Goliath. I want to tell you, if he waited to fight Goliath, and that would have been his biggest battle, he would have already lost the battle. you got to sack yourself out before you ever get to that battlefield. Can I have an amen? The biggest battle that David faced was the limitations that everyone else put upon him. He had to overcome relational limitations that was put upon him by his family his father, his brothers. He had to overcome leadership limitations put upon him by King Saul and all of Israel's army. He had to overcome the enemy's limitation that was put upon him by the Goliaths in his life. The enemy will always belittle, accuse, ridicule, and mock you and oppose you. The devil is the accuser of the brother. He is the father of all lies. And if he can get you to believe in his accusations and lies, then he's already won the victory before the battle ever even starts. Can I have an amen? Now, I want to go slow right here. No one, say no one, will excel above and beyond the level of confidence and faith of their ability to achieve. Let me say it again. I want you to get it. No one will excel above and beyond the level of their confidence and faith in their ability to achieve. If you don't believe you can achieve it, then you're not going to excel beyond that measure. What you believe, you empower, whether it's right or whether it's wrong, whether it's good or bad, whether it's negative or whether it's positive. Some people empower positive thoughts while some people empower negative thoughts. You are daily living by faith in something whether you know it or not. Your destiny may be imprisoned to your very own thoughts. You may be your worst enemy. Amen? Your heart cannot believe what your mind cannot conceive. You're getting a double message today. I'm saying everything twice, 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 twice. <laughs> Hallelujah. God set that up on purpose. Let me say it again. Your heart cannot believe what your mind cannot conceive. 
It is the thoughts in your own mind and heart that actually make you or break you. And matter of fact, is that not what Romans six, Romans eight, six and seven says? For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For because the carnal mind is not subject to the laws of God, neither indeed it can be. But the spiritual mind is what brings spirit and life. This is why the Paul said in Romans twelve and two, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind that you may prove what's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I like what Paul said in Philippians 2 and 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. I love what Paul told young Timothy. For God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and what? Of a sound mind. I want to tell you the biggest battleground you have is not out there facing a the Goliath. It's facing the very thoughts and the intents of your mind and heart. The biggest battlefield you have is your head. Can I have an amen? What we come to believe about ourselves will determine who and what we will become. And when David stood before Goliath, he was fully persuaded and confident that he was able to take that big giant out. And you sure don't want to stand before the Goliaths of your life if you don't possess that kind of faith because your enemy will destroy you. When ordinary people discover the extraordinary creator, they will walk in a journey that's exciting because in discovering the extraordinary creator, they discover the mystery of their own identity. Your true identity is who you are in God as he describes you in the word. You're not a victim. You are a victor. And that's what our declaration says. You're more than a conqueror and you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now start believing that. David counteracted his ability to Goliath's accusation concerning his inability to conquer. When Goliath had made this statement that he was going to kill David and feed him to the fowls of the head and cut his head off, listen to what David said. You know, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. This day, not later on, this day will the Lord deliver you into my hand. And I will smite thee, and I will take thy head from off of thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and the wild beast of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Now, I would like to preach a long time there, and I'm going to skip a bunch of these, uh, these uh, notes. But can I tell you, David was literally trying to be cursed by the enemy by the things that was spoken out of their mouth. And he reversed that. And the very curse that was painted in the image into his mind was the very thing that he turned around and threw it right back at his enemy. Amen? It's time for you and I to quit believing the lies of the enemy because when we do, we're cursed. You can easily determine the caliber of a person by the amount of opposition it takes to discourage them. Let me say this. If you are easily discouraged, easily offended, easily distracted, easily depressed, easily de deterred, you're not going to make it in this journey. If you're sitting around here and you got your feelings on your shoulders and everything is always offending you and everything's always hurting you and everything's always negative in your life and it's everybody's fault and blah, blah, blah. You're not going to make it in this journey. Amen? you got to be tough. I hear all these people wanting to be preachers. Well, buddy, you better get thick skin. Amen? I'm here to tell you that you've got to have uh, thick skin and a narrow head in order to be able to become what God wants you to become. Amen? 
you and I are going to have to be determined that we're not going to allow some kind of an enemy or an opposition or a family member or anybody else tell us who we are. we got to come to know who we are in Christ Jesus. It's settled. God has said that's the way it is and nothing else is in our vocabulary. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise. David faced great opposition and was told by everyone that he had no potential. David was able to go beyond his relational limitations, the leadership limitations, and the enemy's limitations that was put upon him. And by doing so, listen to this, he actually removed the limitations that the army of Israel had put upon themselves. I love that. Whether or not that... whether or not that Papa Bluff will become free is going to determine whether or not you and I are free. Israel would have never overcome their limitations if David hadn't. Did you not get that? His personal victory turning into to a victory for the whole nation. What seemed to be impossible to everyone around him that this little red-headed Rudy boy would kill a ten-and-a-half-foot giant with a slingshot and a rock, all of a sudden, when he done it, all of a sudden, they begin to believe and say, well, if that's possible, then it's, it's possible for us to whip up on the Philistines. Amen? I want to be a man by my own example, by my influence, by my lifestyle, that leads people to believe in the impossible. Can I have an Amen? After David killed Goliath, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, 52, that the men of Israel and Judah rose and shouted and pursued the Philistines and killed them all and spoiled their tents. Hallelujah. We have to understand that the limitations that's been put on us by others is nothing more than the revelation of the limitations they put upon themselves. And we have to realize that one, when one arises above their limitations, they can help others arise above their limitations as well. Those of you that cut you down, don't let a chip be upon your shoulder and get mad. All you got to do is have pity upon that person because if they're cutting you down, in reality, they're telling you how they feel about themselves. Amen? When someone's negative, feel sorry for them. And when they're sitting there and cutting you down, it's because they within themselves do not believe that they can achieve. They sure don't want you to achieve at first because for you to achieve makes them look bad. It makes them look even more of a failure and it embraces the thoughts that they had about themselves. Oh, Lord, I, I got to... Huh. Here we are at the palace of praise. Do we really believe that we're going to storm and take this city? Do we really believe we're going to have state recognition, regional recognition, World-renowned recognition like we feel like it's been prophesied over us. You believe it? Ah, that's too crazy to believe. Well, hang on, because this little red-headed Rudy boy is fixing to show you that what God has prophesied and what God has said and what God has spoken, what God has decreed, what God has declared, it will come to pass, and we're not going to sit around and feel sorry for ourselves because we not went into our arena yet and let them mock, let them laugh, let them ridicule, let them cut down, let them say whatever they want to say. The soothsayers has always been there. They always will be there, but it really don't matter to me because I know in the God and whom I 
intercessor. He is anointed. He is empowered. He is equipped. He is called. He is predestined. And the battle's not mine. The battle is the Lord's. I'm just ready for the church to get in gear with me. I still believe all things are possible to them that believe. I still believe that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I believe that. I believe that even though that Philistine army, who was much more powerful, much bigger, outnumbered the children of Israel, had these giant of a man that could slay as many men as he desired and kill them all, if they can be overcome by a little hand group of Israelites, be it led by a little shepherd boy with a slingshot, then what can God surely do with a thousand members in the region of Butler County for the glory of God when we really believe for what God's called us to do? Would you stand with me, please? Oh, Holy Spirit. The moment that David accomplished more than anyone thought was possible, then so did Israel. Did you hear that? The moment that David accomplished more than anyone thought was possible, then so did Israel. And you can't accomplish anything living under the limitations that everybody's put upon your life, whether they be relational, leadership, or even the enemy. I feel sorry for some of you that had parents that spoke down about you called you stupid, called you ignorant all your whole life. For 20 years, that's all you've heard. You're stupid. You're ignorant. You'll never amount to nothing. And then when you tried to go to college, oh, you're not college material. Have you ever been told that? I feel sorry for the spouse that's always beat up by their other spouse, saying you can't. You're too little. You don't got it. Come on. The army of Israel rose and their fear and their intimidation that was upon them was replaced by courage and aggression after David stepped out and showed them that the impossibles can be done. They believed they could do it because they seen someone who believed that they could do it and done it. They seen David, he killed Goliath. And one has to believe in themselves before they can believe in anything else. And you have to believe in yourself when no one else believes in you. Amen? Limitations don't have to limit you unless you allow them to do so. I wish I could finish this message. David's father, brothers, and even his leaders and his enemies all said, to no avail, you can't. And David said, I can. And not only can I, I will. When all of Israel was hiding in the hills, can you imagine that? Hiding from one man. Goliath, they're hiding behind rocks in the hills, separated, scared to death. And that man's shouting and all that stuff. And this little red-headed Rudy boy says, who is he to defile the armies of the living God? Who does he think he is? And finally, when Saul said, okay, you're the only warrior I got, we'll, we'll put you out there. Saul took his armor off. You know what that was a sign of? Buddy, you got, you're going to fight him, but I'm not. David, Saul could not even believe in himself. You know what it says about Saul? That he was a head and shoulder taller than everybody else. Saul was no little man. 
He was at least, some of them say, seven and a half, eight foot tall. Some would even view him as a giant. Why wouldn't that king of Israel go out there and fight a man two foot higher than he would be? How many of you that has ever fought a fight when you were little fought God's way bigger than yourself? Oh, I have. Amen. My brother used to stir things up on purpose. Ken will fight him. Ken will fight him. Go get Ken. Get, get Ken. And then he'd stir them up on purpose. He'd get the other guy right up on purpose. And then he'd always rub my shoulders. And he's the guy I idolized. You know, he's the one, the bad influence in my life. He'd rub my shoulders and he'd say, hey, remember now. Remember now. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. I found out the bigger they are, the harder I fell. Amen. And here they are. But that little David, <laughs> buddy. Saul took his arm off, put it on David. And David's out there. Hold it, hold it. If I'm going to fight, i got to fight the way that God's equipped me. I can't fight with your armor. I can't do it with your technique. I can't do it with your strategy. I can't do it with your... Hey, this has got to be a, thing, a God thing or it can't be done at all. And he took that off and gave it back to Saul and said, that's for you to do fighting, not for me to do the fighting. That's for you to fight. And David went out there with no armor at all. And did you know Goliath was covered in armor? From head to toe. Did you know there was only one spot or two spots that actually he could succeed in doing what he'd done? One of them was right between the eyes. That's the only place. He had a helmet, had a nose guard that come down like this and split, and there was a little opening right here. And there was one right here in the temple covered over the ears like this so that they could hear him battle. And Different commentaries say different things, but they said because of the no peace, it would glance the rock and probably hit him in the eye, which would have probably not killed him. But they said when David began to get his slingshot going, he went out into a creek and he picked up five stones. He brought those five stones with him and put them in his pocket, and everybody said, well, he must have not had much faith. He thought it might take five tries. No, did you know that Goliath had five brothers and he was ready, or four brothers? Had four brothers, there was five of them all together. He said, if I kill that giant, the other four giants are going to come after me. That's all right, I got four more rocks. And he put that rock in a sling and he slew it. And the, the Bible says that it slew him and hit him in the head. And it brought him down, David cut his head off. And most scholars that you study by history say that it's recorded that he hit him right smack dab in the temple. And it brought him down and killed him. I'm here to tell you today. It's time for you to take control over your thoughts. It's time for you to take responsibility of your mind and put on the helmet of salvation. Amen? It's time for you to understand that because people have ridiculed you and mocked you because of your size, your stature, your education, your looks. Come on. People will judge you just by your looks. Put a deaf ear to it. God's calling this church to greatness. And in order for it to be great, you got to believe that you're great in Christ. You got to believe you're a warrior. You got to believe in who you are in Jesus. Amen. Oh, Father, right now, with every eye head bowed and every eye closed, how many of you feel beat up on? How many of you got a low self-esteem? I'm not trying to tell you to think more highly of yourselves than what you are to think and be arrogant and stupid and haughty. I was going to preach on that tonight, and I don't know if that's what we're going to do yet or not. But nevertheless, 
you've got to have a level of faith that God is with you. You've got to have a level of faith that those things that's been spoken over your lives that has poisoned your thinking and you always feel like less than, you always feel like the last in line, you feel like you're the last pick, you feel like that no one cares, you feel like that no one views you as important, and you walk around with a chip on your shoulder, and every time someone says anything, you'll take what they say to embrace the very limitations that you think about yourself, whether they said it in that context or not. You can't, you can't ever overcome anything because you're always taking things to yourself in a personal way. You're wearing, your, you're wearing your feelings on your shoulders and you're sitting around hurt and wounded and depressed and oppressed all the time because you don't feel good about yourself. And I'm here to tell you that God wants to love on you today. You're this man. Everybody in this building that is feeling like that they're the outcast, that they're the misfits, that they're, non, they're the non-important, that they're the less thans. Amen? I want you to come up here. I want to love on you. I want to pray for you. And I want, I want to embrace you and say, you're just as equal and just as valued and just as important as everybody in this building. And no one's going to judge you by you coming up here. Amen? Is there anybody else? I'm not going to hold much longer. Right now, all kinds of the things spoken over you that's limited you is speaking to you and mocking you, and you're afraid to step out because this could be the breaking point of your life. It don't have to be. Hallelujah. Father, tonight, people are going to be set free today. Look at these wonderful people. These are your brothers. These are your sisters that's being beat up on. They're being fought. They're being hammered. They're coming from maybe different arenas than what me and you may be coming from. Their bosses, their leadership, their home, whoever it is, is just beating them up and saying they're of no value. Maybe the enemy, the devil himself, maybe just flooding their minds, trying to convince them that they're nothing in the eyes of God. You've been divorced. You've had an abortion. You're a bad person. God can never forgive. You'll be worth nothing in the eyes of God. That's not true. God loves you this morning. We love you. And no matter where you've been or what you've done, it don't matter what your past is, this pastor believes in you. I believe in you. And I believe you have value and that you're worth something and that you're important to the kingdom of God. Are you here this morning and need just encouragement? Do you need someone just to wrap their arms around you and love on you and tell you you're valued of God and you're valued by the church? We're here to do that today. Can I have some of my prayer warriors, my elders? Would you just come and love around on these people? Can you just love on them? Can you let them know that God loves them, that God views them and, value, and values their lives, that they're important, that they're necessary, and they can do exceedingly abundantly above anything that they even are able to ask or think by the power of God that worketh mightily in them? Hallelujah. Would you just, God's setting some people free here this morning. Hallelujah. I need some, come on, we need more people loving on these people. We need a flood of love around them, not criticism, just a hand of affection, just a, just a voice of concern, just a, a voice of affirmation, a voice of edification, a voice of encouragement. Hallelujah. Pray over their lives. Pray that God would just overwhelm them today. In the name of Jesus. Was born.